It was a huge weekend of sport. Brian Waddle, good evening. Hi, Susanna. How are you? I'm pretty good. It's Monday still, and I'm just... Gosh, it's only starting. I know, right? And I I did catch a little bit of the Indrua and the Waratahs on the couch next to my 80... Well, just turned, actually, 87-year-old dad on Saturday night, but I don't want to pip anything in what we're about to talk through, so just want you to know that I was participating in a humble way. Good on you. <laughs> but let's let's start with Adi Savier, shall we? Yeah, well, it was a um, uh, probably a controversial moment and uh, he still has to wait for any extra punishment. I'm not sure that any extra punishment is necessary. Um, it wasn't the smartest thing for him to do. But uh, I think when somebody is prepared to uh, be contrite and offer an apology and stand up and accept uh, failings, I, I think to some extent that's fair enough. Adi Savir is not that type of person. To me, it was heat of the moment. Having looked at the situation as it eventuated in that game, it was a pretty aggressive period of play. And Adi Savia wasn't the only one who seemed to be uh, involved in anything that was slightly untoward in terms of infringing the rules of the game. There were uh, far worse incidents that the referee failed to acknowledge. And, of course, he was going to penalise the two players who were involved in the scuffle on the ground. I mean, the Adi Savia situation, I don't even think, deserved a yellow card that he was given, but that led to the confrontation, the provocation. And while there's no um, reason to provoke or accept a provocation, the the referee seemed to at that stage be lacking in the control that the game needed. And uh, I guess he had to make an example. But having said that, we'll probably wake up in the morning and find that Adi Savier has been given... uh, a uh, a punishment more than a slap on the hand, um, which I think would be disappointing because he has been one of the uh, uh, leaders in the game and uh, he's done a lot heat of the moment stuff. But I guess at top level sport you have to have uh, an amount of discipline and his might have been lacking, as was the case with others. We'll wait and see what the judiciary decides, as if they have to decide something because. Otherwise, they wouldn't have a job, would they? All eyes on them, indeed. Well, it was a busy weekend in Melbourne, wasn't it? Super Rugby Pacific, three teams unbeaten after the second round. Yeah, interesting uh, concept, The um, playing all the games at the same venue. They did it last year. Uh, it wasn't hugely successful. Well, I don't know that it was hugely successful in as much as there weren't that many people there. You could uh, have a look at the grounds and the games and, and even the... Melbourne side, the Rebels that were beaten by um, the Hurricanes didn't have a great deal of support. It does change the whole concept of the competition, but everybody playing on the same ground, I I guess, has uh, some appeal. But the three teams unbeaten are quite clearly the most convincing winners. The Brumbies beat the Blues 25-20, a game where there were no points in the second half. The Chiefs, who are hitting big numbers, 52-29 over the uh, side that uh, they beat, the uh, Moana Pacifica. Interesting that game too because uh, 
there was a try after about nine or ten seconds. One of the Chiefs players just chased the uh, the kick up kick off. The ball went from the, the catcher to a defender. It was intercepted, and a try was scored. So you don't often see that in that level of game. And then, of course, the Hurricanes winning their game, thirty nine to thirty three. I think the big concern for the New Zealand teams in the composition is uh, the situation that the uh, Highlanders find themselves in. Now they've had two pretty severe beatings. They lost the game in round two to the Crusaders, 52-15, and uh, the week before lost to the Blues, 60-20. to they're, they're hammerings. Uh, admittedly, they're playing two of the best sides that are on show in that competition. But... Uh, Everything gets back to uh, normal and sides go to their uh, home venues. Poor old Highlanders have got the Chiefs who are hitting everybody at the moment. Uh, the um, Crusaders are playing the um, Fiji and Drua. Hurricanes are home to the Blues and the other unbeaten side, uh, the Brumbies, are at home to the Reds. So it's starting to become an interesting competition, uh, but there's a lot of rounds to be played yet. They've got uh, a full... Uh, 12 rounds, I think it is, that they both 13 rounds. Make that 14, my counting 14. is wrong. Wow. So there's 14 rounds to be played before they get through to the uh, the final stage. So uh, that this is early stages, and you don't want to count uh, teams in or out at this stage anyway. Don't count those chickens, right? That's what they say. Don't count those no. chickens. Mm-mm. Now, let's go to track and field. There was a surprise result in the shot put. Yeah, it was uh, an interesting challenge. Uh, two of the very best shot putters going around, certainly in the Commonwealth um, and, and in the world to a certain extent. Tom Walsh is probably uh, third uh, best in the world, but uh, the pair that fought out the title at the National Track and Field Championships in Wellington over the weekend, of course, were gold and silver at the Commonwealth Games, Tom Walsh and Jack O'Gill. This time it was Jack O'Gill who came out uh, a throw of 21.8 metres and uh, Tom Walsh couldn't match that at any stage. And I think many people probably would have expected uh, Walsh to beat Gill. It was interesting that Walsh said prior to the event that he hadn't had much competition against uh, Gill, and I suppose that's what lifts the performance of uh, these players. But, you know, uh, Walsh has been the champion, I think, something like 12 or 13, last 12 or 13 years. So it was quite a change, and uh, Jack O'Gill starting to emerge um, I suppose they're relatively young men. I think uh, Gill is 28, Walsh is 30 in terms of the future that they have in the sport and the competition that they will have when they get overseas. Ryan Krauser, I think, is the man regarded at the moment as the world number one. I may be wrong there, but he certainly has been a winner in recent, time, in recent times. But uh, it was good to see these two competing against each other and, of course, the other events at the uh, National Track and Field where Eliza McCartney was back in action. There was um, sprint events where records were broken. So um, the conditions in Wellington were suitable for a record-breaking and four victories. And uh, Jack O'Hill came away probably as the surprise winner of uh, the men's shot put. There you have it. Isn't that great? Now, on to the topic of home advantage no asset in the opening matches in the Australian NBA final series. No, it's interesting. The the, the grand final series is between uh, our breakers and uh, the Sydney Kings. And uh, because they qualified uh, highest, the Kings have 
home advantage in three games and two games are played in New Zealand. Because you look at uh, sport anywhere in the world, home advantage is always something that you look to. But, you know, the Breakers went to Sydney, beat the Kings 95 to 87, came home. The expectation would be that they would win the game, but uh, offensively they weren't up to the mark. They slipped behind early on, and while they fought back towards the end, they still lost by uh, seven points, 81 to 74. Uh, the man who'd uh, been the big point scorer in the opening game, Will McDowell-White, wasn't quite as punishing in the offensive end. Barry Brown Jr. is still doing an excellent job for the Breakers. But it's at an interesting stage. Three to play. They're off to Sydney. I think Friday is the next game between the two, the third game. And it'll be interesting to see whether the home advantage plays its part for uh, the Kings. Uh, the, the point of view, of course, is that um, the Breakers went away and then they came home. There was a day to spare and then they had to get into it. This time they've got a bit of a rest. They've got prep time before uh, Friday. And uh, it'll be interesting to follow them over this coming weekend. Uh, just to see whether the breakers are able to uh, break that hoodoo of uh, home advantage. Exactly. Hmm. Okay, we'll be watching that space. Now, how about the ANZ Netball Premiership with that record result in the opening round? Yeah, interesting start. The Mystics really gave a side that in the past has been uh, almost unbeatable. A few years back, the steal from uh, the Deep South were the side that everybody wanted to beat. It seems to be the pulse now because they've had and still hold last year's title. But the Mystics beat the Steel 64-38. to 38. Now, it's a record low score. It's the lowest score in the competition by uh, any side, the Steel. So 64-38. to uh, 38. 26 buddy goals difference between them. Grace Nwerke with 46 for the Mystics, actually scored more than uh, the Steel's 38. Um, the Pulse and the Magic, they had a close one, 53-52. to 52. And I think while we speak, there's a game on at present or uh, almost completed for the first round of events. And it's interesting to see what uh, the outcome of that is. But uh, the Mystics and the Pulse at the moment, the, the front runners, and we will watch them with a great deal of interest. We absolutely will. And let's go to the NRL with that confident start for the Warriors. Yes, and uh, it's always good to win your first game. The Warriors have flattered to deceive on so many occasions. They've, they've started well at times and never really been able to push on. And the fact that they won by 20-12 to 12 home game, a game played at the Sky Stadium in Wellington where they haven't been for a number of years, in fact, you know, the NRL hasn't really had a lot of exposure in New Zealand in recent years because of the COVID uh, pandemic. And um, it was, you know, uh, encouraging that the Warriors have had so many bad starts to win with confidence against uh, the Knights. Because you don't want to make your judgments on the first round because uh, the next round could be the one that determines how your season's going to go. They're up against the Roosters who lost their first-round game, so they'll have something to play for in the second round. They lost to the Dolphins, coached by, well, Mr. League coach in Australia, Wayne Bennett. And uh, it was uh, uh, in interesting because the Dolphins are a new side in the NRL competition. They play out of Brisbane, 
and uh, they had a convincing win, 28-18, to 18, over the Roosters. So the Warriors uh, have the Roosters this week. That's away. So uh, they will be uh, looking to try and pick up the um, form that they have shown, and that will be something that uh, their new coach will be looking to try and ensure that they don't have the inconsistent uh, performances that have marked their game over so many years. Point well made. Now, let's go to the cricket, because, of course, we had the great win, you know, which is something to celebrate. But there are some issues that need attention. Yeah, most definitely. And uh, we spoke about it last week, the excitement, well, last Monday and Tuesday when I, when I spoke to you last uh, Tuesday after the victory. It was an exciting finish, but there are issues within the New Zealand side that uh, need to be addressed pretty quickly, and that's the ageing nature. I know uh, 34 and 35 is not that old for a cricket. After all, Jimmy Anderson, England pace bowler, is 40 and he's still playing at the top of his game. But the depth of the New Zealand game is not quite as good as it is in England. And I've got, I've got uh, a number of their bowlers in particular who uh, are getting uh, a little bit older and consequently their pace, their effectiveness is uh, diminished to some extent. I suppose Neil Wagner will uh, argue with me on that one by saying, here, I'm 37 and I bowl one of the best spells I've bowled in Test Match Cricket. And he did his job effectively, but he's got to do it consistently. He's got to be able to uh, create the issues within the uh, opposition. And uh, that will be evident this week when they come up against uh, Sri Lanka. But to really the selectors, without Gavin Larson now, who's uh, handed in his notice, he's heading off to... United Kingdom to be the high performance director for the Warwickshire County Club. So, you know, it may be time for uh, some new blood in terms of the selection process and the players that are selected. Good question, right? Watching this space. Well, you of all people will know what to be looking for. I mean, how... Well, I'd like to think so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll leave that right there. We'll leave that right there. Now, New Zealand golf open returns, but it's taken out... By an Australian. Yeah, and uh, the pity of it was uh, the number one New Zealander wasn't here, and and you can understand that. I mean, he has supported New Zealand golf, but uh, Ryan Fox was playing in the Arnold Palmer Invitational at uh, Bay Hill in Florida, Florida, and he had uh, a final round uh, five under par, which lifted him up to 14th equal. Now, 14th equal was worth the equivalent of 525000 New Zealand dollars. The winner of the New Zealand Open, I think, won $290,000. So one can understand why he went to Florida. Brendan Jones took out the New Zealand title down at Millbrook in Queenstown. Lovely place to play golf. You can understand why golfers want to go there. It's just a, a beautiful uh, country golf uh, and lovely area down there. And uh, Brendan Jones, who he's had a mixed uh, career, he gave up to a certain extent and uh, didn't commit himself to many tournaments in, in recent years. He's a big player on the Japanese circuit, but he came in and won by three strokes. The good news from uh, New Zealand's point of view was that uh, second place was taken by one of ours. He was one of four who tied for second, Ben Campbell, but they were three behind uh, Brendan Jones. But it was great to have the New Zealand Open back at Millbrook again, another event that's been hampered by the pandemic and uh, various things. Those 
issues are no longer a problem. And uh, not only were some top players from overseas, particularly from the uh, Asian um, market, from Japan and Korea taking part, but of course it gets exposure the world over and uh, that is always good for the New Zealand golf game and and New Zealand in general in terms of uh, tourism prospects. That's exactly right. Now that we've... We've, we're open again, right? We're open again. Now the well, Phoenix... Oh, no, yeah. no. Go away, you go. You're about no, to say we no hope so because We hope so. Golf, mm. golf is one of those things that gets um, people down to New Zealand and particularly down to Queenstown. Uh, yes, of course, they have the the, um, the skiing and such like and the, the tourist um, attraction down there, but golf is big for our, particularly for... Um, you know, overseas golfers and Japanese people come out here on holiday and love playing down there. It's a beautiful spot. Now let's talk about the Phoenix. Staying in playoff contention, yep. but Man U have left with a record defeat. Anyway. Yes, there's... Where, where uh, do we go? Two issues. Wow. We, we worry uh, more about the Phoenix at the moment because uh, they're still in fifth place and they're uh, really... Um, our best contenders uh, for national uh, title or international title. Uh, they're the only side from New Zealand, of course, into the uh, um, Australian League, but uh, they stay in the top five. 2 1 winners over the Newcastle Jets. They're uh, fifth on goal difference behind or ahead of Sydney FC, who they play this week. And the home of rugby in Auckland is the venue. So we're going to see footy up there at uh, Eden Park. And uh, the Phoenix have to continue with that consistency to stay in the top five. Manchester United, well, different competition, but their fans will be weeping, weeping, while the celebrations will be with the Liverpool fans. And I guess you probably know from uh, you know your involvement around uh, the media industry and, and a lot of things that you know people pick their own. English club to support or international club, whether it be Italy, Germany, France, whatever. And there are so many Man United fans in New Zealand, but there are also many Liverpool fans. And Liverpool gave Man United the worst defeat they've had in 92 years, I'm told. 7-0. 7-0. You know, that's like being beaten 85 to nil in rugby almost. That is a hammering. And uh, a proud club like Man United, there'll be a lot of them. They'll be hiding behind the uh, the walls at their workplaces uh, because uh, they'll be taking a fair old hammering. I know a few people who are Man United fans. I also know some people who are Liverpool fans, and they're pretty passionate about their support for various sides. Um, may they keep those fans apart for a couple of days because uh, gloating about your side winning over another side, 7-0, is not a pleasant experience. And I'm glad to say that neither of those sides are my team. My team is battling in the First Division of England to get out of the bottom three relegation zone. I, I just revealed to you that I'm a Southampton fan. I was just going to no say. For no other reason. Than, why? <laughs> well, how did that happen? Or did it happen a long time ago? Is that also what you're saying? It happened. Strangely, it happened a long time ago. Uh, many, many years ago, before before I even joined um, the radio industry, I worked elsewhere and I worked with an Englishman who was a Southampton fan. And so I became a Southampton fan. And I have been a fan of theirs 
in the relegation zone for uh, well, let's say uh, let's say thirty years. It's probably a little bit longer than that. <laughs> Good but, um, Yeah, so I I don't just climb aboard the the best side, the winning side. I stick with my side through thick and thin. A bit like Warriors fans in New Zealand, That's they it. stick with them through thick and thin. Yeah, it's called loyalty. And, you know, you hear people. Isn't it? It's called loyalty. It I mean, uh, that's admirable, yeah. I think. I'm, I'm, well, I admire it, you, Brian, for yeah, that. Well, loyalty is hard to come by these days because particularly in the world of sport, people change according to the pay packet they get as players, but uh, that doesn't change my view. I'm still a Southampton man and people can now ridicule me from uh, now until next week, but I'm still a Southampton fan. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, wishing you a very good week, Brian. It's been great talking to you tonight. Thank you. Yeah, and lovely to talk to you. Cheers, Susan. All the best. Cheers.